You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here at Thrive today or watching the sermon online. As you can see, I'm not physically present this morning um, at Thrive. Uh, My mother has been ill Uh, For the last few months, uh, she has gone through quite a bit of decline, and if this sermon is playing, it means uh, most likely that I am at her funeral up in Michigan at this time. Um, She's been ready to be with Jesus for quite a while, and I am grieved, saddened, and yet at the same time uh, rejoicing with her. Um, She has... Uh, fought the good fight. She has uh, lived the life of a servant. She has believed and the promises that God has given her through her baptism and throughout her entire life are now fulfilled. And we thank God for that. So thank you for your uh, prayers and your care and your love. And um, you'll see me probably uh, grieving over the next few months, time and again in different ways, just like many of you when you have faced the loss of a loved one. But I truly appreciate you and everything that you've been here at Thrive for me in these days. Now, as we have started a new sermon series, or as we are starting it, I'm not sure when this one will take place. Um, It's called The Seven Deadly Sins, and I think it's important to understand what we're trying to do and what we're not trying to do in this series. First of all, many people have a misconception of that word sin. We can use it as uh, for a decadent food. Oh, that's that's just too sinfully delicious. As if it's um, that food can be a sin if it's I don't know, done in the wrong way, or a particular thing that we've wanted to do as if sin can be reduced to a little act or a thing or a temptation rather than the all-embracing, all-encompassing biblical idea that it is. Kids especially, when I have talked to them and taught them and uh, different classes over the years, they often get into this what-if-ism. Well, what if this is the situation? They always try to get into like, well, is it a sin if? Is it a sin if? Is it a sin? As if these are particular little things that we do here and there that our overall record is pretty well spotless, but then we have these little dry cleaning kind of issues that we have to deal with. I got to get rid of this stain. I've got to get rid of that. I've got that. I've got that. We always try to find a loophole or an exception so we can do a few more things. Many people also think sin itself is an outmoded concept. We would rather talk about things like how maladjusted we might be or deprived we have been that caused this or that influence in our life. We'll talk about dysfunction or unhealthy attitudes or inappropriate things or growth areas or even neuroses or psychoses. We live in such a therapeutic age. Everything has been um, reduced to medical, physiological, biological components as if that can explain everything. Kind of a reductionist view of human nature as if it's all just chemicals, all just responses to stimuli. But I think the biblical concept of sin, the biblical teaching, shows a lot more depth, nuance, and mystery 
about our human condition. And honestly, I know, sin has been used as a bludgeon from the pulpit for generations that um, spiritual abuse might be a kind word for what has been done by preachers at different points in time trying to, quote, scare the hell out of, unquote, people, as if that's possible, or to just keep them in line, feeling guilty and ashamed enough of the time so they keep coming back for more. It's ironic that this kind of version of Christianity, that sin is not being taken seriously enough in that guilty version of Christianity. Because, right, yeah, that's right. The preacher thinks that if I just yell and scream loud enough or guilt them enough, they're gonna change. As if that's what really matters. You stop doing it. Uh, David Zoll put it this way, Indeed, anytime faith looks more like a sin management program than a dynamic relationship with a living, loving God, the operative anthropology has been inflated. In other words, we think too much of ourselves and our human condition that we can overcome it, that we can change, that we can be less sinful, that we can be less this, more of that. Um, doesn't work that way. What happens is just a long path of self-loathing and self-hatred, not real change, if all we're doing is trying to guilt ourselves or shame ourselves or have others do it. If all we needed were more rules or more laws or more information or more teaching or more explanations or more knowledge, then sin wasn't that big of a problem in the first place. You don't need more advice. You have had plenty of advice, and you dole out plenty of advice, just like I do. In fact, I don't even keep my own advice, right? That's the problem. I know a lot more. It reminds me of um, Bob Newhart uh, in a skit. Uh, it summarizes quite well this response to treating sin like a thing, like it's just so simple to stop. Let's watch this short clip. Let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes, and, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can, I can almost guarantee you that, that our session won't last the full, uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow, okay. And, uh, and I, I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! I'm sorry? Stop it! 
stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Just stop it. Just stop sinning. Yeah, that's the rub, isn't it? We can't, we don't. Sin isn't a thing. It's a power in our lives. It's so powerful because we think sometimes we can stop it. We're in denial about it. It's not that bad. It's not that deadly. It's not that difficult. And yet, the Bible kind of calls us on the carpet. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We don't deceive God. We don't deceive anybody else. We're only deceiving ourselves. And Paul puts it this way about sin in Romans chapter 7, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So, biblically properly understood, I think the concept of sin or the seven deadly sins is not to be used to judge or bludgeon others or to talk about them over there. It's a word that helps us be both confounded and to describe our own self-centered ways and maybe to have compassion on others because we've got commonality with them. We're all in this together. We're stuck in it together. So that's why David Zoll comments in his book called Low Anthropology. He says, the essential solidarity runs in stark opposition to the narratives that drive most of our cultural discourse. These narratives posit a world composed of these people and those people, the ones who share our values and the ones who do not. If only those people would change, altruism would reign. Fox News people feel this way about MSNBC people, the young about the old, women about men, vaxxers about anti-vaxxers, and vice versa. Every Christian I meet seems to be at pains to let me know that they're not one of those types of Christians, whatever those types might be. As we have been learning over the past decade or two, when moral imagination atrophies, major divisions are generally attributed to the other side being evil or insane. How many times haven't you heard that they're just bad or they're wicked or they must be out of their minds to think that way? That's part of sin's allure for all of us. The denial of how inherently we are caught up in it and we are that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.21 says. You know, that's me. When I see someone do something that I'm shocked at, and go like, I don't understand how in the world did they do that or think that or say that. It might be better that I realize, wow, that could have been me. Maybe I need to understand more the background, not to excuse any of the behaviors, but to explain how easy it is for us to fall into that sin trap. You know, it's the people who are that we need to be most leery of are those who think they don't have a dark side. The people who don't think they deal with these types of temptations, that they can overcome it, that they're always improving. You know, most of the great villains of history are those that believed in their own righteousness, their own cause. And Romans 3, 23 to 24, I think says it well. It says this, 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the history of the world. And this great promise. And are justified freely by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then 1 John 8 that I read before continues. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, then the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness, all unrighteousness. That is the turn. That's the difference. When we hear, when we overhear, when we are told, when we listen and hear, you are redeemed, you are forgiven. God has made the move. God has chosen. He has freely given. He justifies. He reconciles. He has paid the price. He forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's when the power of sin finally is broken in our lives. It's not broken when we try and we attempt and we deny and we obfuscate and we try harder and we blame and we shift over and we look at others and we categorize and we explain away and we rationalize. Those things don't change the power of sin. They just mean that the handcuffs are on tighter. But it's when we hear and when we receive God's grace in Jesus Christ. So we talk about sin in church, not because we want to focus on it, but so we get to talk more about God's grace. The law of God, in that sense, that describes and prescribes, that describes sin, is spoken in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the other way around. So David Zoll puts it this way, Church, in my mind, should be the one safe place to bring our shame and our shortcomings. Not the place where extra helpings are doled out. We don't need more shame here. We don't need more uh, scoldings. So we might come in every Sunday feeling like, uh, you know, kind of the imposter syndrome. I have felt that many times myself as the person preaching in this plate. Uh, we know that we are not better than or more than. We know that we walk into this place as sinners and we walk out as sinners, but we know the grace of God. It is about God's love. It's a place where you can be real, where all your warts, your failings, your foibles, all shows that you are welcomed and embraced and forgiven and restored your family here now without the s word sin in our vocabulary i think some people think oh well then everything is going to improve but i think we lose something extremely valuable about human nature without saying that we're sinful that we have self-centered tendencies that drag us down no matter what that we don't realize how harmful it can be, how deadly it can be, how blind we are then, how we try to usurp God's place and we do a poor job of being God and we end up doing more harm in our own self-righteousness. It is when we confess we are sinners, when we admit we are control freaks trying to play God, that's when sin's power is broken in our lives. That's when things start to change a bit. That's where the fruit of the Spirit begins 
to come out naturally, supernaturally. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. Yeah, it's when we realize it's all about God's love and God's grace and God's promises. That's when, instead of judging and condemning or feeling self-righteous compared to those people over there or trying to list these seven deadly sins as if it were, um, well, I don't have to, I'm not, I hope what we're doing in this series is not any of those types of things. But we're going to explore instead kind of the twists and turns of our own human nature, even its weirdness in a sense, that how easily distorted things get. When we're even trying to do good, how easily we fall into a, uh, in the trap of egos and, you know, justifications. And then to focus even more on the beauty and the goodness and the righteousness of a loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And nowhere more do we see the beauty of God than the ugliness of the cross. With that body twisted upon that tree, distorted beyond all human recognition by our own beatings, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. That is where God's beauty lies. God takes on sin, becomes sin for us in Jesus Christ so that we might be the righteousness of God. Sin does not stop God at all. Sin does not stop God, not in his loving us. Sin does not thwart God's plan for you. It does not alter his promises. There are no loopholes or exclusions in his promises. God overcomes sin and death and the devil for you. And as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, so you will be raised to life everlasting as well. When I and my family and cousins and friends and neighbors uh, gathered together for my mother's um, funeral. She's picked out the hymns already, planned uh, quite a bit of it, paid for it well a long time ago. I'm looking forward to um, singing the hymn for all the saints who from their labors rest. And I think one of her favorites, if not her favorite, let us ever walk with Jesus. And uh, no, she wasn't perfect. Oh, she knew well her own sinful condition. But she knew even better the beauty, the glory, the grace of her Savior, Jesus Christ, who has loved her with an everlasting love. And that's what we in this series are doing, is exploring, yeah, the human condition toward envy, pride, towards gluttony, toward uh, greed, wrath, lust, but also how God has loved, how God in his humility, humbling himself to the point of death on the cross in Jesus Christ, how God has given, how God is righteous. Wow. That's the only antidote I know 
to the seven deadly sins. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this day that you've overcome them all, that you faced death, took on it yourself because of our sins. And through the gospel you've broken into our lives, we pray that we trust you all the more, that as we confess our sins, we know that you are faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we don't hold on to the shame, we don't hold on to the guilt, we let that all go and let you take care of it, nailing it to the cross. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless us this day, that our focus is not on who did what and when and how, that we are not in the position of judge, we let you be the judge, that we may make decisions that we do evaluate, that we do understand and we do try, Lord, to live for you to your glory, that nothing gets in the way of your gospel in our lives and your grace so that others may see it. We pray, Lord, through this series we may grow in compassion for others and our human fallenness and all our human frailties. We pray, Lord, that we would grow in joy over our salvation, that we would grow, Lord, in humility of not considering ourselves better than anyone else, that we would grow in our love for people who can be fairly unlovable at times, that we grow in our gratitude, Lord, in our thankfulness for the gifts that you've given us. All of these things, Lord, we pray. And bless us, Lord, as we continue this service. Hear us, guide us, direct us. And there's no better prayer to pray this day than the one that people around this world and saints of old have prayed, many times the one you taught us for thousands of years. We've been praying and we've been hoping and we've been looking to you to fulfill this prayer in our lives and in this world. Hear us now as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.